All right, so we'll continue part two of FYM and Shabbat. For those who do not know FYM, that refers to Brother Felix Manala, who we believe was one of the teachers uh, to preach the word of God in these last days. And because of his preaching, the Iglesia Ni Cristo emerged, and we came from the Iglesia Ni Cristo, but we are no longer members of the Iglesia Ni Cristo. So we're studying today all about Sabbath, and the reason why questions come up concerning Brother Felix Manalo and Sabbath was because Brother Felix Manalo was against uh, the celebration or the observance of Sabbath. And so the questions that underlie all the other questions for our topic this evening, and which also was the same theme last week, is, is it possible for Brother Felix Manalo to commit an error? And so based on that theme, let's go with our uh, next question. Uh, which was started last week from one of the viewers who objected to our belief that we need to observe Sabbath even during the so-called Christian era. So let's go ahead and continue looking into his queries and comments and also uh, offering a different perspective and answering basically his comments and questions. So let's go ahead and look at his question. Uh, kaya ano ang itinuro ng ka Felix Manalo? Ang mga kaanib sa Iglesia ni Cristo ay nagkaroon ng kapahingahan ng kaluluwa sa loob ng Iglesia ni Cristo. In English, the translation is, so what did ka Felix Manalo teach? The Iglesia ni Cristo obtained rest for their souls in the Iglesia ni Cristo. And so the basis of the question, or the point of the question, I should say, is that because we have already found rest for our souls. By becoming members of the Iglesia de Cristo, Church of Christ, we no longer need to observe the Sabbath rest as taught by Yahuwah Abba during the days of Moses. However, let's test this uh, question or this conclusion that the viewer has presented. Is it true that in the Iglesia de Cristo we find rest for our souls? Let's go to the book of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me. Let's pause there. Who's the one speaking here? Our king, Yahushua. He's inviting people to go to him. That's why he says, come to me. And so Yahushua says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So according to our king, Yahushua, his invitation for people to come to him. What does that mean? It means to have faith in him as evidenced by their baptism into his body. So when they are in his body, they have come to him. And what did our King Yahushua promise those who go to him? He says, I will give you rest or kind of rest. You will find rest for your souls. Now, what does that mean? That they will find rest for their souls. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when it says rest for our souls, what is it referring to? It is the promised everlasting rest, which is the equivalent of the salvation of our souls. Question, have we already received the salvation of our souls? What is your answer? Not yet. It is still a promise. The promised rest for our souls has not yet been given. It is in the future. 
And so the outcome of our faith will result in the salvation of our soul. So the rest of our souls, the salvation of our souls, can be obtained in Yahushua HaMashiach. So when we go back to the conclusion, what did Ka Felix Manalo teach? The Iglesia Ni Cristo obtain rest for their souls in the Iglesia Ni Cristo. That is true. We find rest in Yahushua. And that rest for our souls is salvation. However, when you're baptized into Yahushua, you don't immediately receive that promised rest for your souls. It has to be obtained. There's a process that you have to go to. This is why just because one finds rest in Yahushua, does finding salvation in Yahushua mean that we no longer observe the Sabbath, right? Yes, it's true. We find rest in Yahushua. We find salvation in Yahushua, but it does not mean that we now no longer observe the Sabbath rest included in the Ten Commandments. And there are three reasons why finding rest for salvation of our souls in Yahushua does not mean abandoning the Sabbath. Actually, there are more than three reasons, uh, but it, for the uh, purpose of uh, the context of the question about the soul, right? Rest for your soul. We will settle with three reasons. What's reason number one? James 1, 21 to 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. According to the Holy Scriptures, how can one obtain salvation for their souls? Is it enough simply to be in the body of Yahushua? Is it enough? Let's use uh, the the, uh, questioners or the person who made a comment and use his context. Is it enough to be a member of the Iglesia de Cristo? It's not. We were taught that again and again, right? Bible says, for us to receive salvation of our souls, we have to heed the implanted word. The implanted word, which is able to save our souls. What does that mean? The Bible says we must not just look into it. We have to continue in it, doing what the implanted word, the perfect law of liberty, tells us to do. So it's very clear for us to obtain the promise of the salvation for our souls. When we are in Yahushua, we have to still receive the implanted word, the perfect law of liberty. What is that? What was James referring to when he was speaking about the perfect law of liberty? Let's read the book of Psalms, 119, 44 to 48. So shall I keep your law continually. You notice the how the phrases are the same, right? James says we have to continue in it. We have to look into it, meaning meditate in it or meditate upon it. Psalm says, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever? I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments which I love. My hands also I lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So when James says for us to be blessed 
which includes the salvation of our souls, the rest for our souls, what are we required to do? Not only to look into or meditate, but to also be doers of the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? The Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Abba. Remember, the laws of God, they're good for man. People think the law of God was done away with because the law of God is not good for man. No. Every single law of God, every single commandment of Yahuwah Abba, they were given for our benefit. Think about it. Look into the different commandments of Yahuwah Abba. Give me one command that was given that was not for our benefit. Is there any? You shall not steal. Is that for our benefit? Yeah. You shall not covet. Is that for our benefit? Yeah. You shall not commit adultery. Is that for our benefit? Yeah, all of the commandments, it's for our liberty. It's not bondage. It represents liberty. And the Bible says we need to focus so that we can obey the commandments of Yahuwah Elohim. So according to James, to receive salvation of our souls, we need to obey the commands of God. What else must we do? Revelation 14, 12 to 13. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Yahushua. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. What is that promise rest for your souls? It is rest at the appointed time when the dead will be resurrected this is why the rest for our souls that is the salvation of our souls that's when we will be resurrected when we die in yahushua but who among those who die in yahushua will find this everlasting rest the bible says the one who obeys the commandments of god and remain faithful in Yahushua. You see, for us to be saved, we need first and foremost to be in Yahushua. That's what it means to be faithful to Yahushua. Remain in fellowship with him. How can we remain in fellowship with him? Keep obeying the commandments of God. And so when Yahushua says, come to me and you will receive the rest for your souls, it doesn't mean that you no longer are to obey the commands. We still are required to obey the commandments of God so that we can have that promised rest. This is why he does not abolish the commands. He equips us to be able to obey the commands by means of his spirit. What is one of the commandments of the Ten Commandments? What is it? It is to keep the Sabbath holy, to observe the Sabbath rest. And so according to the teachings of James and Revelation and Yahusha, those who will find rest for their souls are the ones who obey, not disobey, but obey the commandments, including the Sabbath. What else is the reason why that just because our King Yahusha has promised rest for our souls that we are going to abandon the Sabbath? It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? What else is the reason for that? Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Yahushua promised, right? 
promised rest for our souls. But did you notice who will receive the promised rest? Yahusha says, you will find. You notice that, the underline? You will find. It doesn't mean once you go to Yahusha, immediately you're going to find that rest for your souls. You will find it. But for you to find it, what must you do? You have to take up the yoke of Yahushua and learn from him. And when Yahushua says, take my yoke and learn from me, what did he say? He said, my yoke is easy, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So for us to obtain this promised rest for our souls, we have to take up whose yoke? Yahushua's yoke. And how must we take up this yoke? According to what we will learn from Yahushua. Now, what is that yoke? It means responsibility, right? And so Yahushua, when it comes to our salvation, he takes the bulk part, the big part of the work of salvation. But we also have to yoke up with him. We have work to do as well. You see that? We yoke up with Yahushua when we are added to his body. This is why we participate in his sufferings. And so we follow his good example. That's what it means to yoke up. The picture is between two oxen, because back in Bible days, two oxen were yoked together. There's one main oxen and there's one follower oxen. And so they do the work in the field. But the one who does most of the work is who? Yeah, the main oxen, the leader oxen. And then the follower oxen, he just follows. He follows where the leader goes. And so if there's resistance, what happens to you? Well, you hurt yourself. And so when Yahushua says you want rest, well, you have to get my yoke. It doesn't mean you have no more responsibility, not instant salvation, no, nothing else to do. No. Yahushua says if you want the promised rest, you have to take my yoke. In other words, we have to take our part of the responsibility. Yahushua will take the bulk. But the good news is, he says, my yoke is what? Easy. Do you know why our King Yahushua said his yoke is easy? That's because compared to the yoke of the Pharisees, it's different. Do you know what the yoke of the Pharisees looks like? We read Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. You know, Matthew, when he was writing this gospel, there was no numbers like 11, 28 to 30, Matthew 12. These are numbers that we put there artificially. It's not really there, right? So it's a continuous scroll. And so to give an illustration of what our King Yahushua was speaking about here, do you know what happened next? We read Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. What's the next verse? The next verse is actually chapter 12. And so to give you the difference between how easy the yoke of Yahushua is and the yoke of the Pharisees, an illustration was given. And so let's keep reading. Let's read the next verse found in Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Yahushua went through the grain fields on, what does it say? The Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And so here we have an opportunity to see how the yoke of Yahushua is different from the yoke of the Pharisees. The yoke of the Pharisees, it's very, very strict. Do you know why the Pharisees are very, very strict when it comes to the enforcing of Sabbath? 
It's because when you look at the history of the people of Israel, one of the main reasons why Yahusha punished the people of Israel was because not only were they guilty of idolatry, but they also disregarded the Sabbath. And so they were sent to Babylon in exile. After they were set free from Babylon, they learned their lesson. And so they developed guidelines to make sure it doesn't happen again. But they went overboard. They added so many different rules. So many different rules when it comes to observing the Sabbath. For example, here, they were upset with the disciples of Yahusha because they plucked the, the heads of grain and to eat. Is that work? I mean, take a look at this. All you have to do is grab it and eat it. <laughs> is that work? According to Yahushua, it's not work. But according to the Pharisees, it's what? Work. So the Pharisees added so many man-made regulations that supposedly guides a person observing Sabbath. And so the yoke of the Pharisees was really heavy. In fact, did you know, according to the Pharisees, you cannot walk on grass? You know why? Because that's considered threshing. <laughs> and you know, it's forbidden for a woman a woman to look at herself on Sabbath, to look at herself in the mirror. You know why? Because if she finds a gray hair, she might be tempted, tempted to pluck it out. And that would be considered violation of the Sabbath. So they added all these regulations that was never meant to be added. This is why when people say, well, if Yahusha intended for us to follow or to observe the Sabbath, why didn't he say so? He did, because people are thinking, okay, observe the Sabbath. That was not necessary for Yahushua to explicitly say, observe the Sabbath. You know why? Because when Yahushua was in Israel, when he was in that land, everyone was practicing what? The Sabbath. There was no need to tell them, observe the Sabbath. Yahushua came not to tell them, observe the Sabbath, but Yahushua came to tell them how to observe the Sabbath. And here's an example of the reason why. They added so much regulation to the observance of the Sabbath, it became heavy. And so Yahushua here is confronted by the Pharisees. Your disciples are committing lawlessness, defiling the Sabbath because they plucked grains or plucked heads of grain and eating it. And so what did Yahushua say? The book of Matthew 12, 3 down to 8, what he said to them, have you not read what David did? When he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Yahushua is saying that uh, the Sabbath permits for an act of mercy. So if someone needs help because someone's dying, you don't say, well, it's Sabbath. I cannot help you. No. One of the provisions of Sabbath is to show mercy. Okay. Uh, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. So Yahushua says when it comes to serving the temple, in other words, when it comes to serving our fellow brethren in the assembly, for example, helping other people, doing good to others, that's allowed in the Sabbath. But if you had not known, if you had not, had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so according to Yahushua, when 
he was being accused or his disciples were being accused of breaking the Sabbath by blocking heads of grain and eating it. What was Yahushua's response? He corrected them concerning what the Torah means about properly observing the Sabbath. To the Pharisees, they were guilty. To Yahushua, they were what? Innocent, right? They're innocent, not guilty. That's why Yahushua says, my yoke is what? Easy, because I'm gentle and merciful. Whose yoke is heavy? The Pharisees. And so when it comes to the proper way of observing the Sabbath, who should we listen to? Not the Pharisees, but who? Our king, Yahusha. And so that's reason number two. Those who will find rest for their souls take up the yoke of Yahusha. And so what does that include? It includes obeying the laws of Yahuwah, including the Sabbath. Okay, what else? Well, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, 1 to 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Here, the Apostle Paul is making a connection between what's happening in the Christian era and what happened during the days of Israel, right? During the days of Joshua specifically. And so he's making a comparison and contrast. For what purpose? To teach us what we need to do so that we can enter the promised rest. You see verse one? Verse one says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. What is that promised rest referred to by the apostle Paul? What is that? That is the rest for our what? Souls, right? That's the salvation. It was the promised rest and the promised land given to the, in Canaan. It represented that kind of salvation, okay? And so that's the promise that the people of God in the past fell short of. And so Apostle Paul is telling us if they fell short, well, we don't want you to fall short of that promise. We want you to enter that promised rest. Of Yahuwah. What is that? It's the promised salvation, a rest for our souls. But for us to be able to enter, what do we need to do? Not repeat the same mistake the people of God in the past made. What was that? They had the gospel preached to them, but they did not combine it with what? With faith. What does that mean? They did not obey what was preached to them. They did not obey the commands of God. So Apostle Paul is telling us, do you want to enter the promised rest of God? Then you have to obey his commands, right? What is one of the commandments specified by Apostle Paul in making this connection between the Christian's pilgrimage and the pilgrimage of the Israelites during the days of ancient Israel? Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one uh, will fall by following their example of disobedience. And so here the Apostle Paul again is telling us about a certain kind of rest, right? What is that rest? 
rest in yellow. That's it mentions there. Joshua, uh, it mentions the rest of God. Enter God's rest. Make every effort to enter that rest. The rest highlighted in yellow there. What does that refer to? Rest of our souls. That is salvation, basically. Okay, that's the salvation that was alluded to by the promised rest for the people of Israel in Canaan. They want they, they got to Canaan, but the rest eluded them because they were only there temporarily. Eventually, they became slaves, right? And so the rest that was promised by Yahuwah, the promised salvation was not given. And so it still remains. It is still promised. And so we have this promised rest for our souls. But how can we enter there? Again, by not committing the same mistake as the people during the days of Joshua. What was their disobedience? The Bible says because of their disobedience, they were not able to enter that promised rest. And so there's a danger that we too can make that same disobedience. And what disobedience was Apostle Paul referring to? You notice the blue. There remains then, what does it say? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. You notice the, the, the word rest that is in yellow and the word Sabbath rest that is in blue. That word, that, that rest, Sabbath rest is different in Greek. When it says rest in Greek, the promised rest, meaning salvation, it's different from the Greek word used for Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest, the Greek word used there refers to the Sabbath celebration every seventh day. And so according to Apostle Paul, there remains a Sabbath rest. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to those who are following Yahushua. And he says, there still remains a Sabbath rest for us to obey. And why must we obey this? In verse 10, it says, for anyone who enters God's rest, salvation of souls, also rest from his own work, just as God did from his. What is that for? What is that about? Isn't that the Exodus 20 uh, commandment? You must rest on the seventh day. Just as God did when he created the universe, right? And so the Sabbath rest is something that still remains for us to follow so that we can obtain the promised everlasting rest or salvation for our souls. And so when we look at the third reason, those who find rest for their souls obey or observe the Sabbath, not Sabbath, the Sabbath rest, like what was commanded during the days of ancient Israel. And so those are the three, three reasons why finding rest for salvation or finding uh, rest for our souls or salvation for our souls in Yahushua does not mean abandoning the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, it tells us the opposite. We are called upon even more to, uh, to promote and to, to do the work or to do the non-work, I should say, or to observe the Sabbath as taught by Yahuwah Abba to his people, Israel. Okay, all right, let's go to the next question. Is it not possible for the people of God who were guided by appointed leaders and prophets uh, to still fail to understand all of God's laws? Yan ang tanong mo, kung di ako nagkakamali. If there is a messenger prior to God's people, yes, exclamation point pa. Yun ang sagot ko, exclamation point pa. At tama naman ang mga sumunod na henerasyon sa bayang Israel pagkatapos ni Moises at mga bumangong mga propeta. 
At ang iba nga ay bumangong propeta ay inilihim pa ang pangalan ng Diyos. At ginawa nila itong Baal. Subalit, iba sa kaso ng kapatid na Felix Manalo. Walang sugo o propeta na nauna sa kanya na inabutan niyang buhay upang tumanggap ng utos mula sa Diyos. Walang bayan ng Diyos sapagkat ang bayan ng Diyos na tinayo ng Kristo na Panginoon na tagapagligtas ay lubusang natalikod ng mga bulaang propeta na nakadamit tupa. There was no guided appointed leaders and prophets prior to Brother Felix Manalo. When he sent when he's when he sent by God and we established God's people into the fold which is the Iglesia Cristo. Let's translate that in English. Is it not possible for the people of God who were guided by appointed leaders and prophets to still fail to understand all of God's law? That is your question, if I'm not mistaken. If there's a messenger uh, prior to God's people, yes, that is my answer. And it is true that the succeeding generations in the nation of Israel after Moses and the prophets who came and the other prophets who came even hid the name of God and turn this into Baal. But this is different with the case of Brother Felix Manalo. There was no major, uh, there was no messenger or prophet that was still alive that he could receive the commandments from God. There was no nation of God because the nation of God that was established by Christ the Lord and Savior was completely apostatized by false prophets who bear sheep's clothing. There was no guided appointed leaders and prophets prior to Brother Felix Manalo when he sent by God and reestablished God's people into the fold, which is the Iglesia Ni Cristo. And so that's the question. We'll go back to the question, but that question actually came from what we uh, preached prior to this question becoming uh, coming up. And that what we preached was, and what we said was, it is possible. It is possible for the people of God, even if they have so-called guided appointed leaders and prophets, to still fail. To understand all of God's law. Is that possible? Yeah, we've proven that. We've shown that to you in history. Biblical history at that. In 2 Kings 22, 8-10, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahuwah. And Hilkiah gave that book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house. And have delivered it, delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of Yahuwah. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So what we read to you there was what happened when King Josiah wanted to reform or he wanted to renovate the temple of Yahuwah. He wanted to restore it, okay? So in the process of restoring it, what did they uncover or find? They found the book of the law. And so during this time, were they considered the people of God? What is your answer? Yeah, they were the people of God. Did they have a leader appointed by God? Yeah. In fact, Josiah was one of the good ones because there were many bad kings before him and after him, right? But Josiah was one of the good kings. And so they had a good king to lead them. Did they have a high priest? Yeah, Hilkiah. Did they have prophets to lead them as well? Yeah. But take a look at this incident, which is quite revealing. They found the book of the law in the house of Yahuwah. And when this book was presented to the king and he read the book or the book was read to him, what was his reaction? 
11 down to 13. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe and Asiah servant of the king saying, go inquire of Yahuwah for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahuwah that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so when they found the book and it was read to the king, what did the king do? Tore his clothes. Why? Because for all this time, even beginning from the time of their fathers, they have been ignoring the book of the law. So there were people of God, a nation of God, led by appointed prophets and kings and leaders, yet they had no idea about the book of the law. The book of the law was foreign to them. And so this is an example of the possibility that even the people of God, led by leaders appointed by God, not to have the whole law, not to observe the whole law of God. It's possible. It happened before. And it's happened it can happen today as well. So that was the basis of the question. And so in response to what we presented here in 2 Kings 22, uh, the, the, the one who asked the question says, is it not possible for the people of God who are guided by appointed leaders and prophets to still fail to understand all of God's law? That is your question, if I'm not mistaken. And then he goes on to say, if there is a messenger prior to God's people, yes, and so now he's saying, okay, how can I get out of this one? <laughs> and so, okay, let's say this. If there was a messenger prior to uh, this other messenger, right? In this case, Brother Felix Wanalo. If there's a messenger before him, okay, I agree. That is my answer. It is possible for God, to, who were appointed by God's uh, appointed leaders, to not understand all of God's law. So that's what he says, right? You see that? And then he makes a conclusion. There was no guided appointed leaders and prophets prior to Brother Felix Manalo when he was sent by God and reestablished God's people into the fold, which is the Iglesiani priesthood. According to his argument, look, I believe the people of God, they can make the mistake of not understanding all of God's laws, but that's all, that will only take place if there were messengers already before, <laughs> which kind of doesn't make sense. Right, But if there was no messenger before, just fresh off the apostasy, then it's not possible for the people of God uh, not to understand all of God's law. And so his conclusion is this. Since there was no messenger prior to Brother Felix Manalo, it's not possible for him to have any shortcomings or make any errors in his function of teaching. That's what he is saying. And so let's go ahead and look into that. Well, he's going to have a big problem. Why? Because Brother Felix Y. Manalo is not the first work of God's commissioning after the apostasy in the first century. Right? Who was the first work of God's commissioning? According to INC? Yep. Right here. Revelation 14. The second angel, meaning messenger, followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adultery. So according to the worship service 
that was taught by Brother Iranio G. Manalo back in 1999. Take a look at the question, what was God's next work of commissioning after the first century Church of Christ, after the apostasy, right? And Revelation 14, 18, who is that? Martin Luther, who initiated the Reformation. Back in 1517, he was the one who uh, published the 95 Theses, and he condemned indulgences, and he restored the Bible as the authority when it comes to the teachings of God. And so, because back then, the, the, the popes had authority over the Bible. Can you imagine having authority over the Bible? Martin Luther said, no, no, the Bible has authority over the, the Pope. You obey the Bible, Pope. That's what he's saying. Popes can make mistakes because the papacy then, they could not make mistakes. That was their belief, right? The papacy. Oh, it is impossible for the Pope to make a mistake. It is impossible for the Pope to make an error. What do you call that? The inerrancy of the Pope? What is that? There's a name for that. No? Yeah, they cannot make infallibility. There you go. Yeah, the Pope, they, they were infallible. <laughs> Martin Luther said, no, no, the Bible is infallible. But you, Pope, you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. Do we believe that? Do we agree to that? Absolutely. We believe that. Martin Luther preached it. The Bible is the authority when it comes to our salvation. And this is what he preached as the second angel, the messenger, right? And someone asked the person who asked the question, well, do you believe that Martin Luther was a messenger of God? You probably would say, well, it's not right. Not, I don't know. <laughs> Do you believe Martin Luther was the messenger of God? Absolutely. Because if you don't, then you're going against Brother Irani Manalo. And that's not allowed, right? Number two, was the messenger of God prior? Was there a messenger of God prior to Martin Luther? Because that's his argument, right? Was there a messenger of God prior to Martin Luther? Because according to Brother Irani Manalo, there was none. Because he was the first. So before this was all apostasy. Right? And so using your same argument, what is your conclusion now? What should be your conclusion now concerning Martin Luther? Well, his conclusion should be this. Since there was no messenger prior to Martin Luther, it is not possible for him to have any shortcomings or make any errors in his function of teaching. Right? And so it should be the same application for Brother Felix Manalo. If Brother Felix Manalo cannot make an error, then Martin Luther should not also be making errors. <laughs> Do you follow the argument? However, what did Martin Luther eventually preach? He preached the Trinity. Uh-oh. What else? He preached Christmas. He preached Easter. And so who's right? Martin Luther or Brother Felix Manalo? One angel against another angel? Which one is right? Right? Who's more correct? Because Martin Luther says, Holy Trinity. Brother Felix says, no Trinity. Martin Luther says, Easter, Christmas. Brother Felix says, no Easter, no Christmas. So who's right? Right? Well, see, the problem is, this is going to be a big problem. If you will hold on to the idea that Martin Luther or Brother Felix Manalo are infallible. If you have that belief, then you will have this dilemma. But it's not true that Brother Felix Manalo is infallible. Otherwise, he'd be the same. He'd be like a pope. He's not infallible. Who is infallible? Yahuwah. Who else? Yahusha. What else? The Bible. This is why Martin Luther restored the proper meaning of infallibility. It doesn't apply to human beings here on earth. It applies to scripture, to Yahuwah, and to, Yah to Yahusha. 
right? But not to anyone else. And so you resolve that problem by admitting that it's possible for Martin Luther to make mistakes. It's possible for Brother Felix Monalo to make mistakes. And this is what is echoed by Apostle Paul too. In Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And so do we honor, respect, and love Brother Felix Waimanalo? Yes. Yes. He's a leader of the Lord's work. He preached to us the commandments of God. He preached to us the Holy Bible. Does it mean he's infallible? No. That's why Apostle Paul says love them, honor them, respect them. But test everything they say. Why? Because it's possible for them to make mistakes. Because none, they're not Yahuwah, they're not Yahusha. The Bible is going to be already completed by this, by this time. And so he says, test everything. Because if we will say that there's no need to test Brother Felix Manala because he's infallible, do you know what we are doing? Let's read Matthew 23, 8 to 10. You must not be called teacher. Because you are all equal and have only one teacher. Who could that be? Brother Felix Manalo? Brother Irani Manalo? Who is that? Yahusha. And you must not call anyone here on earth father. Because you have only the one father in heaven. Who is that? Yahuwah. Nor should you be called leader. Because your one and only leader is the Messiah. And so Yahusha is telling us. We have to know our scope. We have to know our limits. And it would be a sin against Yahusha if we were to elevate a leader here on earth above that scope, above that border. You see that? And so Yahusha says, do not call anyone teacher. Does it mean we cannot call a person preaching you a teacher? Does it mean we cannot call anyone a leader? What is the point of our King Yahusha? When he said, do not call them teacher, do not call them leader. It means not teacher the same way Yahusha's teacher. Yahusha as a teacher cannot make mistakes, right? So if you're going to call someone a teacher the same way that Yahusha is a teacher, then you're basically elevating him to the same level as Yahusha. Yahusha, no mistakes. Everyone else, they can make mistakes. If you will believe in the infallibility of Brother Felix Manalo, you just elevated him the same level as our king, Yahusha. Yeah, we should respect Brother Felix Manalo. We honor him. We love him. We appreciate what he did. But we must not elevate him even to the same level as Yahusha. The Bible says, do not call anyone leader. What does that mean? I mean, we do have leaders today, right? Why did Yahusha say, do not call them leader? Not in the same level as Mashiach. Mashiach's leadership cannot be questioned. But if someone will claim someone's leadership here cannot also be questioned, what are you doing? You're elevating him again, right? This is why the Bible says, we have to test everything. Test your leaders. Test your teachers. Because only Yahuwah and Yahusha and the Bible are infallible. Everyone else are fallible, including myself. I am very, very fallible. Okay? And so I will make mistakes, and it will not be one time, two times, three times. A lot of times. Test what I teach. But always place your eyes and your trust in who? In the book of Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes 
on Yahusha, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Brother Felix Fanalo, when he brought us together in one fold, right, preached the gospel, we were brought to Yahusha. And so when we were brought to Yahusha, why are we going to go back and focus our eyes on Brother Felix Manalo? No, we're brought to Yahusha. Now we focus, focus on who? Yahusha. Why? So that our faith can be perfected. You see, our faith will never be perfected if after we have been baptized into the body of Yahusha, all of a sudden we stop focusing on him. We focus on someone else. That's not appropriate. That's not right. This is why it's not good if people promote the leader here on earth. No, the leader of the assembly, the leader of the people that belong to Yahuwah Allahim is Yahusha. He was the appointed leader. We go to him. We fix our eyes on him as the author and perfecting of our, perfecter of our faith. And so it's possible, very possible for Brother Felix Manalo uh, to make mistakes. So let's go to the next question. So balit ang tanong, hindi ba pwedeng magkamali? ang kapatid na Felix Manalo. Natural tao. Pwede magkamali. Subalit, kung ang pangungusapan ay ang tungkol sa Sabat, papayag ba ang Diyos na 100 years ng, exis- ng eksistensya ng pagiging bayi ng Diyos sa hindi itutuwid ang pagkakamali bago siya mamatay? Nasaan ang pagpapahayag ng Espiritu Santo sa taong sugo ng Diyos? Sabihin natin 49, 49 years. 49 years na ang kapatid na Felix Manalo ay pinangungunahan ng iglesia. Papayag ba ang Diyos na nasa 14, na sa loob ng 49 years ay hindi ipapaunawa sa kanya ang tungkol sa sinasabi ninyong walang hanggang kautusang tungkol sa pangingilin ng Sabat ay hindi malaman ng mga lingkod ng Diyos sa ating panahon? Hindi yata. At di yata at sa inyo ay minamabuti pa ninyo ang mga sabadista you just can't get over the sabadistas for some reason dahil sila ang tumupad ng sinasabi ninyong walang hanggang kautusan tungkol sa pangingili ng sabat isang malaking pandaraya yan para sa inyo at kayo ngayon ang magtutuwi sa pagkakamoy ng sugo sa paraang lumabas kayo sa bayan ng Diyos at doon sa labas ninyo itutuwid ang sinugo ng Diyos eh di wow nga diba? nasa, nasa inyo yon. Hindi ko kayo tinutuya, subalit pag-isipan ninyong mabuti sapagkat ang nakataya rito ay ang kaligtasan ng kaluluwa habang may panahon pa. So it says in Tagalog, let's translate that in English. Uh, however, the question, the question, is it possible for Brother Felix Manalo to make a mistake as a human being? It is but natural for him to make mistakes. But if we are talking about concerns the Sabbath, will God allow the nation of God to exist for a hundred years without being corrected before he died? Where is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to the man who is the messenger of God? Let us say that for 49 years, for 49 years, Brother Felix Manalo led the Iglesia. Will God allow that for 49 years? He did not give him the understanding about what you call the everlasting command about the observation of Sabbath will not be known by the servants of God during our time. I don't think so. And you agree with the Adventists because they are the one who fulfilled what you call the everlasting command called the Sabbath. That is one big deception for you. And you will be the one to correct the messenger by way of coming out from the nation of God 
And from the outside, you will correct the message of God. That is a big wow, right? That is, that is on you. I'm not mocking you, but think very carefully because what is at stake here is the salvation of soul while there is still time. And so first he says that it's possible for Brother Felix Manalo to make an error, but he's not making an error concerning not teaching the Sabbath. And he has an argument. What is his argument? Well, he says, will God allow the nation of God to exist for a hundred years without being corrected before he died? First of all, that's not a sound argument, right? First, because it's not biblical. And we can show you instances where Yahuwah God did not correct for more than, I mean, more than a hundred years, right? I mean, how many instances do we have where Yahuwah God did not correct? Look at the people of Israel. They were not corrected for how long? They did not discover the law for how long? Right? Will God allow the nation of God to exist for a hundred years without being corrected before he died? And then he says, will God allow that for 49 years? He did not give him uh, the understanding about what you call the everlasting command about the observation of Sabbath will not be known by the servants of God during our time. And so he says, 49 years, all throughout his ministry, Brother Yahuwah God did not allow him to understand that Sabbath needs to be included among the commands that we have to obey. Right. And so it's like he's passing the blame on who? <laughs> Yahuwah. Is that Yahuwah's fault? No. Uh, but let's take a look at this argument. Martin Luther. Let's go back to Martin Luther. Do you know when he began to preach? 1507. Actually, before 1507, he was already preaching. Do you know when he died? 1546. How many years is that? 39 years. And so I want to ask you the following question. You believe he's, a, he's an angel. You believe he's a messenger, right? Then in the span of 39 years, why did God not give Martin Luther, his messenger, right? The correct understanding about himself. Instead, he ended up teaching the Trinity all his life. All his life, he was teaching about the Trinity. And he's still a messenger of God. So for 39 years, he didn't correct him. And so based on that argument, then we have to say that Brother Felix Manalo and Martin Luther, if they were not corrected by God, then does it mean that Yahuwah is at fault? No. You see, Yahuwah has a plan. He has a purpose. You notice the Bible, it wasn't written right away. Piecemeal, right? And so the work of restoration, how is that planned out by Yahuwah Elohim? Corinthians 13, 9 to 10. This is something he needs to understand. Now, our, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. And so in Yahuwah's work of restoration, how is it done? It's done piece by piece. Partial here, partial there. Not all knowledge dumped at once. We already have the Bible. After 1,500 years of working, putting together an authority, the Bible. After that, we rely on the Bible. And so from time to time, we have people who were illuminated, right? They were given illumination concerning passages of the Holy Bible. Because the Holy Bible contains passages 
that require that kind of illumination. But the Bible says when it is being illuminated and preached to us, it doesn't preach the whole picture all at once. Because Jehovah's work is restoration piece by piece. So brother, uh, what's his name? Uh, Martin Luther was given the peace. Brother Felix Manala was given a peace. Other preachers were given different pieces. And the whole picture is only achieved when we get to the full restoration and Yahuwah's plan completely unfolds. When we have all the pieces together and we bring them together, that's when we say restoration is complete. Right now, it's not complete. We're still in the process of restoration. And so we get pieces here, we get pieces there. This is why the Bible says we have to test everything, right? Why? Because Yahuwah gave it to different gave different pieces to different people. Why? So that we will not place our trust on individuals. Because if only one person received all the pieces of the puzzle, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to deify that individual, right? That's not what Yahuwah wants. What Yahuwah wants is for us to focus on the one who has all the, the, the puzzle pieces already. The one who has the whole picture because he is the whole picture. Who is that? Our king, Yahusha. And so when it comes to the timing, when it comes to when restoration will take place, that's not up to us. And so if one will complain, why for 49 years we were not taught the Sabbath? Why? That's like complaining against Yahuwah. Why not restore it now? Why not restore it back in 1914? You know, that kind of question is the kind of question that the disciples asked Yahusha before Yahusha went to heaven in the book of Acts 1, 6 to 7. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because that made sense. Yahusha was already there, right? He was already there. He died. He resurrected. It would have been the perfect time to restore Israel. But then... Yahushua said, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And so the plan of man and his thinking, it's always different from the plan of God and his thinking. Look at the timing. What were the disciples expecting right there and then, right? But how long did they have to wait? Over 2,000 years. And it's still ongoing. You see that? See, it's not up to us to determine the time. Yahuwah's time, his plan, his purpose, because he's sovereign. You do not pigeonhole Yahuwah God into your thinking. Oh, he's with 49 years already. How come Yahuwah did not teach us about the Sabbath? First of all, it's already written in the Bible, right? So he made a mistake. Why did he allow 49 years? Maybe it's part of his plan. It's not yet time. Or maybe it's only now that Yahuwah is moving his people to understand the Sabbath. And so we have to respect Yahuwah's timing and his purpose. Just like this question being asked, Yahushua says, that's not for you to meddle with. You don't meddle with the timing of Yahuwah. Not even Yahushua meddled with the timing of Yahuwah. Who are we to meddle with his timing? You don't do that. We have no authority. But he goes on to say, well, you will be the one to correct the messenger. Brothers and sisters, are we correcting the messenger? Are we correcting the messenger? No. No, we are not correcting the messenger. Who's correcting the messenger? Let's read the book of Matthew 23, 8 to 10. Who is it? Yahusha. Does Yahusha have the right to correct the messenger? Yeah. Why? Because he's the only teacher that cannot make a mistake. Can Brother Felix Manalo make a mistake? Yeah. 
If you will say no, then you're preaching infallibility. You're preaching he's like a pope. And that would be a great sin before Yahuwah. You don't say that. He makes mistakes. He can make a mistake. He has made a mistake. And who will teach him? Yahusha. When will Yahusha teach him? At the right time. Right? It's up to Yahusha to teach him at the right time. How will he be corrected? Well, in the book of 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 17, and you remember that ever since you were a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Yahusha. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the truth, rebuking error, correcting faults, and giving instructions to right living so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. So how will Yahusha correct uh, his te the, te the teachers here on earth? By using scripture. Because scripture teaches the truth. And if there are those who do not teach according to the truth of Scripture, the error has to be rebuked. That's one of the purposes of Scripture, so that we can compare it to Scripture. You see, the problem is when you think Brother Felix Manalo is infallible, you no longer use the Scripture to test him. That's where the error, that's where danger comes. When you think a human being is so infallible, you will not use the Scripture to test what he's teaching. We need to do that. And so when we use the scripture to test what he's teaching, we come up with our own conclusions. And so during our time when we did the test, our conclusion is Yahushua is correct. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Why is he the Lord of the Sabbath? Because we follow him when it comes to the proper observance of the Sabbath. What did he teach? He taught the right way to observe the Sabbath. So it's good to do good on the Sabbath, to show mercy on the Sabbath, but still observe the Sabbath. And so we follow the teaching of Yahushua because he said his commandments it will no way be voided until heavens and earth disappear. Heavens and earth are still here, right? And so we follow the teaching of Yahushua HaMashiach. And so, you know, it's not we who are correcting uh, Brother Felix Manala. Who are we to do that? We're not correcting anyone. We're just followers of the Bible. We test everyone preaching because everyone can be fallible. And so we use the scripture as a standard by which to test everything. Martin Luther included. Every preacher, including myself. We are subject to the Bible. The Bible has precedence over any human being here on earth. Okay. And then and after it says, after he says, you will be the, the one to correct the messenger, the messenger. And then he goes on by way of coming out from the nation of God. And from the outside, you will correct the messenger of God. That is a big wow, right? Wait a minute. Who said we are outside the nation of God? No. Do you know how you can tell who is inside or outside the nation of God? How can we tell who are who is inside and who is outside the nation of God today? In the book of Isaiah 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the guard of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Who are those who, who are inside? Who are those who are outside? As far as the people of God are concerned. Well, the Bible says the daughter of Zion, right? What happened to it? It became like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was on the, its way to apostasy. Boy, what did Yahuwah God do? He set aside what? A small remnant. So who represents the people of God before judgment day comes? The small remnant. What does that mean? There's a bigger group from which the small remnant came from, right? And so where do you belong? 
are you in the small remnant? Because the small remnant are those who are the people of God. They're not outside, but they're inside. They're among the people of God. This is why we would advise you to look into you know, what is preached by the small remnant. Because the pattern, the pattern of scripture ever since the beginning. The, during Salab and Gomorrah, during Noah, during the days of Israel. Who's saved? Is it the remnant or is it the big piece? Every single time, every single time, the pattern cannot be wrong. The pattern is always there. It's always a small remnant, a small remnant among the people of God. It's always like that, and it will be when Yahusha returns. This is why if I were you, if you were in the bigger piece or a bigger place, I'd leave and go to the very small remnant, which takes us to our last question for today. And the question is, hello, Pokajan, many INC ministers and brethren say that even though they are, there are a lot of changes in the INC doctrines, fishy, fishy, really, lesson applications and rules today that the INC will never be subject to apostasy, citing Isaiah 62, 11, 12 as biblical proof. Can they really claim that these verses refer to the INC institution? Thank you, Paul. So according to the question, uh, there are those who, uh, who are adamant that the Church of Christ, the INC will never be apostatized. And Isaiah 62, 11 to 12 is biblical proof. And so they say if we read and study Isaiah 62, 11, 12, it proves that INC will not be apostatized. So let's go ahead and read the book of Isaiah 62, 11 and 12. Yahuwah has made a proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of... Zion, see your Savior come, see his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of Yahuwah, and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. So that's what it says in 11 down to 12. It speaks about the daughter of Zion. Who's the daughter of Zion? The people of God in these last days. And so there's a daughter of Zion. And how is the daughter of Zion described in Isaiah 62, 11 and 12. They'll be called a holy people, redeemed of Yahuwah, sought after a city. Take note, a city no longer deserted. Do we believe in this prophecy? Yes, we believe in this prophecy about the daughter of Zion. However, when will this description of the daughter of Zion take place. When will it be fulfilled? You notice in the prophecy, it says they will be called. What is that? Future tense, right? It's something that will take place in the future. And so Isaiah 62, 11, 12 is a description of after a process is complete. So there's going to be a process that the daughter of Zion will go through. And after this process, they will be called the holy people, redeemed redeem of Yahuwah, a city no longer deserved. You see that? Will be called. So there's a before and there's an after. So the daughter of Zion, the third group, what shall become of her? What will she go through? What is that process? Zechariah 13.9. This third, I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. So the daughter of Zion, the third group, will go through the fire. And they will be tested as gold. So something's going to happen. 
There's a process that will take place, that will test, that will test the daughter of Zion. And so it will be tested like gold is tested. You know, when you test gold, when you, for example, bring gold ore into fire, what happens to the ore? The gold ore, most of it is dissolved, right? And you're left with only a small microgram of gold, a small remnant. Does that ring a bell? And so when the daughter of Zion goes through the process of refinement and cleansing and testing by means of fire, what shall become of the daughter of Zion? We read this earlier. The daughter of Zion will be like a besieged city. Do you remember the promise? What kind of city was it? A city not forsaken. Remember that? A city not forsaken. But Isaiah 1, 8 to 9 says the daughter of Zion will become what? Like Sodom, like Gomorrah, a besieged city. Not a city of righteousness, right? Not a city, not forsaken, but like Sodom and Gomorrah. But what did Yahuwah do? He took a small remnant from that daughter of Zion. Why? Because that small remnant will now represent Yahuwah's people. They will be the ones who will be described later in Isaiah 62, 11 to 12, a city not forsaken. Now, why was the daughter of Zion like a besieged city? Why? Why? What happened? Let's read Isaiah 1, 21, 23. See how the faithful city, see the city? The faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. So why does the Bible say the daughter of Zion will end up like Sodom and Gomorrah, but Yahuwah is going to leave behind a small remnant? That's because the people of God is called a faithful city when they're following the teachings of Abba. But when they begin to fellowship with and have partnerships with political leaders and kings. Do you know what the Bible calls it? Bible calls it harlotry, Revelation 18, right? When you mingle with kings, and this is why partnership with the, the government and kings and leadership, that's never, never what Yahuwah wants done with his people. I mean, look at what happened. When Christianity in the first century mixed with rulers of the world, what happened? Catholicism was the result, a hybrid religion, an apostasy took place. That's what happens. It always happens like that. When the people of God mingle with, when the people of God have relationships with political powers, leaders of nations, it will lead to apostasy like Sodom and Gomorrah a besieged city. And that's what happened. Faithful city becomes a harlot. What else? The Bible says your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. One. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. Two. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. Three. The widow's case does not come before them. We studied this before. And so it's up to you. You draw your own conclusions. We know there's, there's people of God who fits this description. And so what happened? they no longer remain the daughter of Zion. But what is the promise of Yahuwah for the small remnant? Because he took out a small remnant, right? What is his promise? Take a look. 126, 27. I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward. You see the before and after here? Afterward. 
You will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. So Isaiah chapter one is basically an outline of what's going to happen to the people of God, often repeated in patterns, which includes even the last days. Okay, so it begins with the daughter of Zion becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it has a happy ending. What's the happy ending? The small remnant will get new leaders, and then the small remnant will again be called what? A city of righteousness, a faithful city, no longer a besieged city, no longer a harlot, but a city of righteousness, a faithful city. And this will take place afterward. After the result of the process of going through the fire. So there's a before the fire, after the fire, after the process, you will be called city of righteousness, the faithful city. So Isaiah 62, 11, 12 describes the daughter of Zion, not before, but when? After the process. That's why it says, will be called holy people, redeemed of Yahuwah, sought after, city no longer deserted okay well how can we describe how can we know the remnant of the daughter of zion who will be called holy people redeemed of yahuwah a city no longer deserted how can we know who they are how can do they does it have identifying marks yes we read to you 11 to 12 right how does isaiah in 62 describe this remnant of the daughter of zion well we read 11 and 12 let's read one to two this is what it says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings, your glory. You'll be called by a new name that the mouth of Yahuwah will bestow. How can we describe? I mean, what are the identifying marks of this small remnant of the daughter of Zion? Who will be called a city not forsaken? Well, the Bible says they will not keep silent. They will not remain quiet. In other words, they will proclaim something. They will preach and uphold something. That will cause what? Righteousness to shine out like the dawn. What must we preach and proclaim? What must we not be silent about? So that the righteousness of Yahuwah Abba will shine like the dawn. What do you think that is? What is considered righteous? According to the Holy Scriptures, what is considered righteous? Romans 7 and, 12, 7 and 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. And so when the Bible says that in Isaiah 62, there are people who are not going to remain quiet. They will proclaim righteousness. What are they proclaiming? The laws and commandments of Yahuwah Abba, specifically the ten commandments because it's been forgotten it's been removed by so-called christianity however what yahuwah wants that the daughter of zion the remnant of it to do is to make it shine again why how can this how can we make it shine again what does yahuwah abba want us to do isaiah 42 10 sing to yahuwah a new song his praise from the ends of the earth you who go down to the sea and all that is in it you islands and all who live in them. It pleased Yahuwah for the sake of his righteousness. To make his law great and glorious. What we read to you concerns the fruit of the work of Brother Felix Manalo. The people of God that started in the ends of the earth. 
in the islands, that's us. What is the desire of Yahuwah? What does he want us to uphold? He says to make the law great and glorious. That's Yahuwah's will. This is why when we look at Isaiah 61, uh, 62, 1 to 2, one of the identifying marks, and there are three, one, number one, they will proclaim what? The law, make it great and glorious. The commandments, make it great and glorious. So it will shine out like the dawn. That's number one. What's number two? How else can we identify? The, the small remnant of the daughter of Zion, a city not forsaken. How else? It's right there in the yellow, highlighted in yellow. They will be called by a new. Yeah. They will be called by a new name that the mouth of Yahuwah will bestow. And who will be recipients of this new name? Isaiah 43, 5 to 7. Do not be afraid because I'm with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. And we stop there, right? That's where we stop. Now we keep going. Bring everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so according to this prophecy, yes, there's going to be a work of bringing together the people of Yahuwah, beginning in the islands that are seen in the far east during a time called ends of the earth. Yes, that was fulfilled. But it went through testing by fire. Afterward, they will come out a city of righteousness and they will bear a name. What is that name? The name that Yahuwah will make for himself and for his glory. What name is that? The name that is above all other names, which is the name of Yahusha. So that's number two. What's number one again? They will proclaim the law and commandments of Yahuwah, Ten Commandments. Okay, that's number one. Number two, they will bear the name of Yahusha. What is number three? How else can we identify the remnant of that third group? Zechariah 13:9. This third I will bring into the fire, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. After the test, after they get through the test, how can we recognize them? They will call on my name. And so it's not surprising that after what happened, the shakeup of the daughter of Zion, leaving a small remnant, the small remnant, according to the prophecy, will call on a name. Yahuwah says, my name. <laughs> and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, Yahuwah is our God. Brothers and sisters, was this fulfilled? It was fulfilled, and it was fulfilled in us. Do you see the three identifying marks? Yeah? What's number one? They will preach and make great the laws and commandments of Yahuwah, including Sabbath. Especially Sabbath, because it's been forgotten. Number two, they will be called by the name of Yahusha. And number three, they will call on the name of Yehovah, brethren, who was that fulfilled to? Who was that fulfilled in? Wasn't it fulfilled in us? This is why when you look at Isaiah 62, 11, 12, this is the afterword. This is the description of the people of God. Not before, but after going through the test of fire that left behind a very small remnant who will call upon Yahuwah as their God, who will be called by the name of Yahusha and will make glorious and great the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah. Brethren, this was fulfilled in us. This describes us. And so we are not a city forsaken. Rather, we will uphold the work of proclaiming the righteousness of Yahuwah Allahim. Okay? 
All right, brothers and sisters, that is our lesson for uh, tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray. Everlasting and loving Father. Yes, Father. Merciful Yahuwah Abba. Amen. Thank you for blessing your people with yes, understanding. Yes. With deep insight into your words. Amen. The work of illumination taking place during this time. Amen. Is proof that you are preparing your people. Yes, for the upcoming salvation of our Amen. souls. Help us to be patient. Yes. Yet in our patience, help us to do our part. Yes. To work out our own salvation according to your laws and commands. Amen. We promise we will honor you. Yes. We will not remain quiet. We will proclaim boldly and mightily yes. your commandments, your ten commandments, yes. which we know cannot be replaced. Yes. Loving Yahusha HaMashiach, we also glorify you. Yes. We worship you. May you remember your servants who are here. Yes. Uphold each one of us. Help us to live by faith. Yes. To look to you. Fix our eyes on you. Yes. That you may perfect our faith. Amen. We know that as we study the Holy Scriptures, it will reveal to us your presence. We invite you now, loving Mashiach. Yes. Please help us to find you. Help yes. us to be nourished by you yes. when we study your works and your book. Amen. Father, please bless your people always. Yes. Help us to overcome trial and tribulation. Yes. And when there are people who oppose the message we proclaim, yes. may you enlighten us all the more that we may find your truth and your truth will continue to shine brightly before all that you will be glorified. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.